listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 138, covering Lower Decks and Thine Own Self. Hi, friends. Hello, everybody. It's us without a guest for the last time for Next Gen. Yep. Wow, really? The last? Goddamn. Yeah, from here on out, uh, every episode we do has a guest. How many so, more episodes uh, do we have left in season seven? Do you know offhand? Uh, five for us, wow. I think, plus uh, plus the movies. Right. Wow. Which is just weird. It's weird to, to think that we won't be doing this show anymore. I know. Moving on to DS9. Yeah, which is itself exciting. Yes, it is. But uh, but a whole other kind of thing. How long have we been doing TNG for? Two years. Almost two years. exactly two years. Wow. It took almost exactly two years to get through a seven season, so so that's uh, that's that's a good uh, reference point for the yeah, others. Yeah, so it's going to be about the same for for DS Nine and for Voyager, and Voyager, and then uh, Enterprise was a big failure and got uh, canceled after four years. Mm-hmm. So you know, yep. Looking forward to that. Uh huh. I'm not looking forward to that. Maybe maybe if we put the word Star Trek in the title, then people will watch it more. No. Maybe Fuck. if we put some Star Trek in the show, people will pay attention more. You remember that? First yes, two I do. seasons, it was just called Enterprise? I do remember that. So weird. Yeah. What an odd that choice. Was, that's when I was watching it also, because I was yeah. trying to give it a fair chance. Well, it's been uh, a long time to get back from there. Yeah. Why don't we instead talk about the show that we watched? Oh, yeah. Because this, until we get to all good things, this seriously is the last week of good episodes. This is it. We're done. I don't know. We've been saying that a lot, and this was not a no, bad I, week. I said that last week because that was the last two great ones, and I stand by that. All right. This one, this was one great one, and one that should have been terrible and wasn't. Shockingly, but uh, you actually liked it. But, but I did. I don't think you'd put it up there in the top ten like the same way you'd put Lower Decks. Oh no, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, but Lower Decks was something special. Yes. Tell me about Lower Decks, and I'm I gonna. guess also tell other people, but mostly tell me. Yeah, because uh, you guys are just listening in. It's really about me and Matt. Yes, these are the conversations we would be having even if we weren't recording the show. Yeah, pretty much. We might not be quite so formal about it. We would we would watch an episode together, mm-hmm. and then we would compare the notes that we'd taken on the episode, and then we would yeah. discuss it for an hour. And then I'd say, what's your bad thing? <laughs> you know, like friends do. Yes. <laughs> like friends are all the time doing. Yep. Lower Decks. Meet the junior officers. Lil Riker is a smug ensign who likes poker and embarrassing himself by calling the real Bill a Canadian. Lil Jordy is a Vulcan who has all sorts of crazy ideas about how to increase the ship's efficiency. Lil Worf is Ensign Cito Jaxa, the Bajoran girl who killed a guy with Wesley that time Wesley killed a guy. And Lil Beverly is a profoundly unfair thing to call Nurse Ogawa, who is honestly, and I'm not even making a joke here, a more likable and well-rounded character than her boss. This episode is told from the perspective of these four up-and-coming guys who, along with their f- bartender friend Ben, are probably each the focus of their own Peter David novels. Are we still making that joke? Apparently we are. As we follow these guys around, we learn a few things about them and about our main cast. Some of these things are surprising, like the fact that Worf is a really good boss, or that Captain Picard personally requested Ensign Cito in order to give her a chance to redeem herself. Some of them, like Jordy not particularly caring for his pointy-eared suck-up or Beverly giving horrible relationship advice, are not even remotely surprising. Eventually, we piece together the plot through the Starfleet baby's eyes. A Federation spy, a Cardassian, needs help returning to Cardassian space. To do this, he'll need to take Ensign Cito fake prisoner and tell a bunch of lies. 
The lies, it turns out, don't work, and she doesn't return from the mission, and I have something in my eye. Yep. Esencito is the new new flute solo. Yep. She She sure did uh, get shipped off to a a, a Federation, to a Cardassian concentration camp. Yeah, where she'll be no freedom at all. Yep. Uh, She can can bunk with Tommy Riker. There was a there was a flood. I, well, I won't say a flood. Three or four pieces <laughs> of fan fiction that I read. Well, this was when I when I read fan fiction when I was sort of participating in the fan fiction uh, sure. community when the show was still on. So it would have been ninety three, ninety four on uh, AOL. And there were at least three or four stories that I read where someone went into the Cardassian prison camp to rescue Ensign Cito Jaxa and uh, Lieutenant Tom Riker. Mm. I think he was lieutenant, or did he drop out of Starfleet at that point? I don't remember. It's a DS9 episode we haven't covered yeah. yet. In any case. It was a yes. very popular I, plot. I guess. But uh, look, we're, we're comics fans from way back, and uh, no body, no death. But uh, yeah. on the other hand, you know, if it didn't happen on the screen, it didn't happen. So yeah. as far as we know, she's dead. I actually really like the way they did the, that death in this Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about your good thing, because right. that sort of ties into to what we're uh, – what we're talking about here. Okay. This episode does a masterful job of making us deeply care about five crew members that we, at the very best, barely know. And that was one of- that was the point that I was kind of steering toward. Yeah. yeah we, we did not know who this person was prior to this episode, mm-hmm. and now we, we're so broken up about her death. Mm-hmm. And one of whom, like the murderous Wesley Crusher, is a murderer. Oh, well, yeah, and that's her. Yeah. And it's weird to tie back to an episode like that. An episode from, what was it, three years ago? It's three years Two ago. Two years ago, something like that? I, I, it was a while ago. Although, if you look at this season, there's actually been a lot of that I've been noticing. There's well, no, been no. a lot of reflection. There's that. But it's usually sort of like a, do you remember when there was a disaster yeah. on the ship? Not, do you remember this very specific incident that happened in this one episode? Like, mm. I don't know. It, it seemed Because like, I don't remember this character. If I hadn't known when we watched it to look at her. To, to keep a particular eye on her because she'd be coming back, I probably wouldn't have remembered her at all. No, I don't. Like, I couldn't tell you, like, is, is this the – is that the actor that played her? Did they actually yes. get the actor? Or is it just some other yes. little blonde chick? No, and I only knew that because when we watched the episode, I read that in Memory Alpha. I'm like, oh, that's Cedo Jackson from one of my favorite episodes. Right. But I didn't know that, and I wouldn't have known that, even as a fan, even as someone who's, you know, deliberately, like, analyzing the show. I would not have spotted that. Right. So it was, it, was, it was sort of a deep callback, which I liked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the uh, the fact that that we are made to care. They try this so often. They try to get us to care about the the struggles and whatever else about guest stars, and well, it almost it's like never every works. Third episode or something. It's like, oh, here's a new guest star that you'll whose struggle is important. Usually, it's somebody's long lost brother or uncle or something. Yeah. Do you care because he's deaf? Is that why you care about him? No. Yeah. Occasionally, they'll do it though. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, they'll pull it off, like the episode where uh, uh, Half a Life, where uh, Deanna's mom uh, wanted to be with that dude who uh, ended up having to kill himself. Like, oh we, yeah. We sympathized with him in an hour. Yeah. They, but it's it's very rare for them to do that. In this case, and they to did do it, it, to do it several with, times with five separate characters, all of yeah. whom we've you know. No, we when had... we get to the end, I seriously, I'm I'm not too proud to say that I teared up a little mm-hmm. when she didn't make it back. It was it was a little rough. Yeah. And I think particularly why 
is because of her relationship with Worf. Yes. We see in this episode, I hinted at this in my in my summary, she, he's a good boss. Yeah, I never would have expected that, that that's no. the thing he excels at. He's a terrible Klingon. He's a terrible father. Yep. He's not a very good friend. Nope. But uh, he sucks apparently, at poker. Yeah, he sucks at poker. He's not a very good security chief. But as far as a department head, mm-hmm. he's apparently really good. Like, he takes her under his wing, teaches her, you know, how to do stuff, sort of um, – mentors her and and um he's he's sort of sponsoring her for this big promotion yeah. that's that's sort of the main plot for these guys until the other plot takes over so what really needs to happen is Worf needs to get out of starfleet and get like an office job i guess because yeah he reminded me of of a lot of the the bosses that i've had that i particularly liked who are a little tough but you know mm. if you're a good worker that he's he's particularly good to you Anyone could draw a a business casual wharf. That would be awesome. <laughs> Bizcast fry wharf. <laughs> that one has Kim all over it. Yep. Not too casual, Kim. Not naked casual. Will you be signing up for the company softball game? <laughs> well, the fun team has. Uh... <laughs> it is not mandatory, but no. it is, but it is frowned upon not to. And I frown upon lots of things. Look at the, look at my face. Hmm. Frown upon. But yeah, they they do a, a fantastic job of creating that relationship from nothing mm-hmm. of of uh, of Cito and um, Worf. I got to get used to that Bajoran last name thing because I know her name is Cito Jackson. And I keep wanting to call her Ensign Jackson, and I know that's not right. No, it's Ensign Cito because the, their first names are their last names. But it's we haven't really done much of that, and my brain is like, that's not right. No, You're saying it wrong. We're getting into uh, we're getting into into Bajoran country very soon, though. So. Here's the thing: the Bajorans seem terrible from yeah. from from this perspective. From let's pretend we've never seen DS9. This is all we know about them. They don't mm. seem like something you would build an entire series around at all. No, not at all. It seems like, ugh, really? That's what that show's about. I'm in no hurry to see that. No, and that's the, how I the felt. Crinkle nosed fellows. Yeah, fellows. <laughs> yes. Now I've liked Ensign Rowe, mm-hmm. and I like Cedo Jaxa. Yep. But I still just don't think that they're people are worth you know i mean like about. who's gonna like where's the pitch meeting where it's like okay we're gonna take one of the great races of star trek oh which one the vulcans the romulans the gorn that no we're gonna take the bajorans who yeah i think they created them specifically for ds9 and then sort of backfilled them yeah. into next gen but still and we get a, a cardassian in here which is nice and we get the implication that cardassians are not you know kind to their prisoners no we get a, a nice little building up of their uh, reputations for when we do make the, the, the crossover. Yeah. Because they are, they are fucking ruthless. Bunch of jerks. Yeah. Bit bit jerky. Bit yep. Of, bit, of a, bit of a jerk race. Yep. Except for this guy. Yeah. You, um, yeah, he was, he was quite cool. He was one of those, uh, you know, I'm trying to make a better Cardassia yeah. and I'm trying to, you know, blah, I really, blah, blah, blah. I, I like the whole, like, and I didn't know this, even though, even with the amount of DS9, I'd forgotten about this or something, but I love how their whole deal was that they, you know, their their race was, you know, dying and the military took over and then saved everything and then almost instantly got incredibly corrupt. Yep. And this guy's just like, no, we had a really good thing going and they fucked it up now, so I'm going to fix it. Yep. No, Presumably that's... by taking you to a concentration camp. <laughs> well, the whole idea was that Sorry. he was going to get by border security by saying, uh, I have a prisoner. Yeah. And that way they would trust him and they wouldn't they wouldn't think he was, you know, suspicious. Yeah. And then but they shot her and planted a knife on her. Yeah. Didn't quite work out. Nope. Killed her. Killed her like they were Wesley Crusher. Yep. 
<laughs> like a common Wesley. She was uh, she was exonerated of that killing a guy posthumously. Yep, but, after uh, death when uh, Picard's reading off and she died in the line of duty. Let the record show she never killed nobody. <laughs> There's uh, actually, I, I went back and forth on my quote. There's an awkward scene that we'll talk about in a second that I was going to use as my quote. I'm actually going to use this really, really touching bit that uh, Picard, uh, when, when it turns out that uh, she doesn't make it back, mm-hmm. he gives this little speech. all Starfleet personnel, this is the captain. It is my sad duty to inform you that a member of the crew, Ensign Sito Jaxa, has been lost in the line of duty. She was the finest example of a Starfleet officer, and a young woman of remarkable courage and strength of character. Her loss will be deeply felt by all who knew her. God out. And you get to see everybody's reactions, and it's it's just a it's it's a great bit. Everyone's pretty sad. Yeah, and there's a there's a really nice scene at the end in Ten Forward where the the lower decks, the which is what they're called, the lower decks. Yeah, the guys. lower decks. Right. They're that's their little clubhouse. The lower yep. decks uh, are hanging out, and um, Ben, the um, the bartender, the two of us can look no more. We've both found what we were looking for. Right. Thank you. Um, With a friend called my own. I'll never, never be alone. And you, my you friend, friend, will see. see. You've, You've got, got a, friend a friend in me. Got a friend in me. Okay. Ben um, the two. <laughs> Look, you played chicken. I gave <laughs> in. We're not doing the whole goddamn song. <laughs> He he pretends that he has to do something with Worf's table so that he basically forces them to go sit him to sit over with with the lower decks, and, uh, and he's like, "Well, I see what you're doing," but he's like, "Come on, man, I really don't need your help." Yeah, okay. It's like, "Come on, man, get over yeah. there. Be a, be a be a dude. Don't be yeah. a dick. Be a dude." Right. He's like, "Yeah, all right." Uh, this time, but you can't tell me what to do, Ben. You're going to do it again, aren't you? God, I'm so trying not to. <laughs> Why don't you tell me your bad thing? Uh, there is some British office-level awkwardness in this one. I yeah, like that awkwardness. There's a scene, starting off, there's a scene where uh, uh, Sam, the fake Riker. Mm-hmm. But Who has a bit of a Patrick Bateman vibe to him as well. A little bit. A little like, bit you expect him to take his com badge out and go, you see that? That's bone. Right. But uh, he tries. He's try, he's desperately trying to get on Riker's good side so we can get this promotion. And there's a scene where uh, <laughs> Ben's telling, "Okay, you got no, just go over there and talk to him, man. You guys got stuff in common, you know. He plays poker. He's Canadian, I think." Yeah, and in your notes, you're like, "He's not Canadian. What are they even talking about?" So he and goes just... over. He goes over, and the most awkward conversation imaginable happens. Uh huh. So. Commander, how you doing? Fine. Good. Um, she drinking? Andorian something? Great. I'll take one. So, <clears throat> I hear you're Canadian. Oh no 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 no! That's not how. Oh it yeah. Goes. He my, says uh, so. My grandfather's Canadian. Really? I, I hear you're one. Grandfather? 
<laughs> yeah, because you gotta no. you gotta leave in that 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 bad joke that he pretends to laugh at. That makes it even more awkward. Yeah. No, Canadian like you. Oh no, I'm from Alaska. Really? Uh, I gotta go. And then you can't see it, but the death. <laughs> the, yeah. If looks could kill, Ben would not be going into a second verse. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> And the two of us will go no further. <laughs> yeah. That and, then was... he, and then he bails, leaving two drinks behind. Ben Ben just throws him right under the bus with yep. that. I would not tell I would not say that's a bad thing. I would say that's a good thing. He wasn't Canadian. Oh, is Alaska not part of Can- uh, part of Canada? I'm sorry, I'm not from Earth. Yeah. You son of a bitch. I'm look, I'm amazed that I knew it was on the same continent, okay? That's pretty close. That's pretty good for someone who's not from where you're from. It's not like any of you guys know anything about Celatron 8. Right. Where Ben is from. <laughs> Poor Ben. Home of Ben. Friend only to the rats. Yep. But um, that conversation pales in comparison to the the dressing down that Picard gives uh, to Cito. Oh, God, yeah. Which was so brutal, it almost had me in tears. Well, he basically calls her out for being, you know, for being involved in that thing where Wesley killed a guy. It's like he's been holding on to this, the lecture that he gave to Wesley back in Wesley Killed a Guy. Right. For her. And so all of that horrible, oh my God, I'm so sorry, just comes back again. Yeah, times two years. Oh, you think it's over now? You think you think you can just move on from that? Well, you can't. And I mean, it leads to the great reveal where he's like, I wanted you here because I don't think it's fair for this thing to you know, like yeah, affect to you lord for the over you for the life. rest of your life. Yeah, I think it's horrible. I can't. I think it would be awful if every time you were mentioned on a podcast, two idiots talked about how you killed a guy. <laughs> I just can't let that happen. That was that was another scene where when you realize that he's actually proud of her. Yeah, it's like oh, like there's a there's a lot of moments. There's a lot of flute solo moments in this episode. Yeah, it's a it's a very flute solo heavy episode. Yeah, it is, and yet no flutes. No, not this very time. Weird. But he's, yeah, the second, because, okay, so that happens. So he's like, he's like, uh, oh, so I understand you're being considered for this ops position. Well, uh, I don't think you are qualified for that on account of you killed a guy. What do you think of that? I don't even know why you're on this ship. And she does her best. She doesn't run out crying or anything, but she's not, she's not in great shape when she's finished, nor would anyone be. No. Anyone up to and including Riker. No. I, 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 she does this thing where she goes, uh, she's like, you don't understand. Like my last year was, was awful. No one would talk to me and like, no one wanted mm-hmm. to, to help me or anything. I had to pull my way up completely on my own. I mean, doesn't that say anything? It's like, well, I'm sorry. You had a very sad time. Yeah. I'm sorry. The Academy wasn't fun for you. Ensign. you know who else it wasn't fun for that guy you killed. Yeah. The dead kid. What about him? But uh, and then Worf ends up uh, basically tricking her into realizing that Picard's sort of testing to see how tough she is. I like that because I have trouble believing that Worf can trick anyone. Well, he can he can trick a very small girl. <laughs> That's about it. I don't think Worf could trick Alexander, and Alexander may be the most trickable person alive. <laughs> Alexander, yeah, now I'm picturing throwing, pretending to throw a ball. <laughs> And Alexander running after it. I feel like you could put a cloth over Alexander's head and he would think it was night. <laughs> He's a parakeet. 
Okay, here's here's the uh, here's the sign of a good episode. We are we have now just like three times just described and reenacted a scene for you. Like we're making our usual jokes and observations, but we're also just pretty much reading the script to you because we're yep. that impressed. Um, my good thing. Okay, so last week I talked about how Sub Rosa was not Star Trek. Like, mm-hmm. that was my biggest problem with it. It was this huge departure from this is what Star Trek is. Uh, so is this, mm-hmm. actually. This is a complete departure from the normal type of episode, but it works here. Experimentation is not a bad thing inherently. It's not bad to to try different stuff, to make the show a little different, to mix things up a bit. And, you know, it's season seven. Let's Let's mix things up. Let's focus on these characters we've never met before. Yeah. Let's see what it's like when a big mission is happening and you don't have all the details or, you know, whatever. Uh, we both compared it to that Buffy episode where yeah, Xander's the, like... Uh, the uh, Zeppo, it's called. Right. Where Xander's running around getting people's coffee because uh, he's not important enough to know what's going on. Yes. That's effectively this episode. I love... I lo- just... I like the idea that, you know, not everyone on the ship knows what's going on. In fact, most people don't right. know what's happening most of the time. They just are there to follow orders while our guys take care of whatever they have to do this week. Whether it be, you know, save a colony or save Bever from a ghost. <sighs> yeah. Fortunately, we got to, we didn't get their perspective during an episode of let's rescue the diplomats or something. Yeah. Like there was still something cool going on on the surface even mm. though uh you know, even though it could have been typical next late next gen bullshit. Yes. But um just I I really like the way it's written. The way the, the particular writing style of this is so different from your typical next gen episode that yeah, we don't know what's going on, but because it's put together so well, we have four different characters, five different characters technically, but really mm-hmm. just four who are in Starfleet, each with a slightly different part of the ship that they work on, so you get the pieces. Yeah. They're not allowed to tell each other, but we as the audience know, okay, the Vulcan and Engineering saw this bit, so that's going on, and now um, Fake Riker's up at Ops, so he's doing this, and mm-hmm. now Cito's doing that, you know, so you get, you gradually get it. The best part, though, and you mentioned this in your good thing as well, is that the poker sequence. Yes, there, there's a scene, uh, there's a scene about halfway through the episode where we go back and forth between uh, our guys playing the, you know, their weekly poker game, and I assume right across the hall mm. we have uh, no lower decks, Matt. They're they're oh, below. Of course, excuse me. No, I just I I I, I was. I love the idea of the two poker games breaking up at about the same time and then both mm-hmm. the, two of the characters leaving just getting in the same turbo lift. Right. Which, alas, didn't happen. No, but what did end up happening was that the, the senior officers uh, broke up their game and then Jordy came and got, uh, what's his name, the Vulcan, to come join him in engineering. Yeah. But, um, th- like, the way they go back and forth between the two, the two uh, poker games... I have never seen anything like that on Star Trek before. It's no, not it the was... kind of directing that the show normally does. No, and part of it is in the script and part of it's in the directing. It's so – because it's one of those cross-cut things where one character will say a thing and then you cut to the other game where someone else is saying a similar thing. Yeah. It's one of those kind of things and it's way more artful. It's not like crazy film school artful but it's it for Star is Trek. For Star Trek. Yeah, it felt, it felt more like a – I hate to say it, but like a grown-up show. Yeah, exactly. And it made me realize that the show so much relies on the same sort of patterns and cliches mm-hmm. that when they do something slightly different, it makes you go, whoa, that was that was really good. Yeah, it really stands out. Yeah, which is kind of too bad. Yeah. 
that the show has such an ingrained format that something that simple can really call that much attention well, to itself. Well, I mean, I think there was a lot of, like, I mean, you know, directing for television back then probably wasn't terribly... Well, I mean, even now... Experimental. You got, you got shows, you know, like, you got your your best shows. You got your, your Mad Men and your Breaking Bad or, what you know, shows like that. Mm-hmm. They still have a house style. Oh, of course they do. You still, week to week, do not want it to appear that a different person is directing. You want it to seem like the same show every week. I understand yeah. that. But on the other hand, you know, shoot something weird or, you know, show it from this perspective. Or Just occasionally you know. give us something we haven't seen before. Right. And they did that. And it yeah. was amazing. It was it was so good. Mm-hmm. That was that was one of my favorite. And again, it feels weird talking about this in Star Trek at all because you don't really think of it in terms of film. Mm-hmm. But favorite, favorite sort of edited sequences, favorite sort of like cinematically edited, you know. Mm-hmm. The only other time I can think of that is in one of the movies, and that would be Wrath of Khan with the um, the Mutara Nebula battle, because there was a lot of really good editing stuff happening there. Yeah, absolutely. With the cutting. But for the most part, you don't think about that kind of stuff in Star Trek. You don't really think about the directing in general unless no. it's bad. And, and it definitely was Because, I mean, that's the thing. They stick to that, that one sort of style. standard look. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. I think Brian brought this up last week. You can tell when the actors are directing. Mm-hmm. Because they will they, occasionally pick a strange angle or pick yeah. a, you know something unique, which is kind of cool. Oh, was it Patrick Stewart who did the shot that was basically up Riker's nose? Uh, might have done. I know, one was, of the actors, I know it was one of them. It was one of the actors who made Frakes look about 50 feet taller yep. than he was, which I loved. The amazing colossal Frakes. Yeah. This episode overall, though, just everything about it, this was one of those, and again, this is the last, this is it. Take a look. Have a good look at these because it's the last It'll time. It'll be the last time, Michael. It's. I cannot think of another episode that's going to be this good until until all good things. We got no. about we got about ten episodes in a row that are going to be garbage. Mm-hmm. But uh, but this one is going to be in my top ten. This one is just so so good. And for a bad thing, all I could come up with is Ben's clothes. Yeah. Well, you know, civilian. Yeah, they put civilian clothes. They put awful, awful, awful clothes on Guinan Junior. Yep. Just uh, just not good. I, 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 was I guess watching that's this who he's one, meant to be. And I was thinking to myself, that dude has the easily the best job on the ship. You think so? I think so, because all he is is he's a waiter, but he's on the Enterprise, which means he gets to go all over the universe and occasionally, you know, to various planets. That to Earth all the off. time. But, like, you know, he gets to be there. He gets to talk to, you know, the guys who are doing the actual stressful, horrible jobs. Yep. And you know what? In the twenty third or the twenty fourth century, I bet it's dirt simple to be a waiter. Well, I, I, I well, my very first note here is, or my second note is, still not clear on how waiters in ten forward work because I, I just don't know why do they? There's replicators. Mm-hmm. You don't need a waiter. You might need a bartender to pour some of the actual liquor behind the bar. Yeah, but I mean, but, it's not, it's not like uh, like ten forwards, not like. Uh, the, uh, Voyager. I don't think there's an actual kitchen back there. No, or like the original Enterprise, which also had a kitchen. Yeah, I think they just eat. Everybody eats everything out of replicators. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not really clear why they even need waiters. They there. just want some dudes to hang around and you know bring you food. Mm-hmm. I guess move you. I, I guess move tables that you were sitting at. I guess. I don't know. I mean, when you got the listen lady there, it makes sense. But all her subordinates don't really make sense. Not really. But again, I don't care. And it does sound like a cool job. Yeah. But then it, it raises the whole civilians on the Enterprise thing. Do you? How do you get that gig? Because you don't get paid. Yeah. <clears throat> and we do get, because of the whole Lower Decks thing, we do get some interesting insights into the way some of the stuff on the ship works that we've never seen before. Like uh, It's mentioned that uh, Sam and 
Vulcan guy share a room because they're both uh Yeah, they're both ensigns. And if you if you get promoted to lieutenant you don't have to share a room anymore. Yeah. Which is cool. And you realize there's probably privileges for, for everybody on up the uh, on up the chain. Mm-hmm. We were which talking about cool. uh replicator credits. Right. Holodeck time. Which is cool because you see all this stuff on the ship and you realize, yeah, the infinite time. We've talked about that on the holodeck. Like yeah. how how is it seriously that Barclay could not just be there all the time? Mm-hmm. Well, if you have credits, if you have a certain amount of allotted, you know, time, then that's different. Yeah. And maybe he's got some weird fucked up engineering thing where he can cheat or hack or whatever. But yeah. for the most part, most people can't. And, of course, Worf clearly gets insane amounts of vacation time. Yeah, exactly. Every time he gets to pick whatever his, you know, prize is, he picks paid time off. And I feel like every time Data does a good job, they reward him by letting him take his, get as many people as he wants off the crew to come and watch him do something. <laughs> This week I'm studying the fiddle. Oh, good. I'll look forward to that data. <laughs> and you have to pretend to like it too. Yes, that's the worst part. Picard will come by your quarters. No, I hear you. I hear you've been picked to go to Data's recital tomorrow. Uh-huh. Yes, Captain. Well, you'd better goddamn well like it, or I'm going to hit you. <laughs> this is a real nice sense of dignity you have here. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> My only other note is. Um, there's a there's a really really subtle moment, and I meant to point this out to you when we watched it together, and mm. we were too busy paying attention to all the other stuff. But um, there's a bit where they're playing uh, poker, the, and and we're on the officers, and Jordy tries to show his poker face, <laughs> and it is just the worst, most unconvincing thing. And it's LeVar Burton has all of three seconds of screen time to pull this off, and he nails it, and it is hilarious if you know to look for it. <laughs> it's just like. Yes, I have good cards. <laughs> but it's all in the face. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> and mind you, it's all in the face and you can't see the guy's eyes. Yeah. So it's a particularly good bit of face acting for me to have pay- taken notice to it. That's goddamn impressive. It is. It was hilarious. And it, and it backs up our uh, our assertion that, that Worf and Geordi are the worst people at that table by far. Oh, yeah, easily. But, uh, but as you pointed out, I think Geordi just... Always gets caught off guard. Oh, it's poker time? Sure, whatever. Yeah, Jordy goes for the conversation. I think Worf legitimately wants to beat people at poker. <laughs> and can't. And is terrible at it. I feel like he goes down to the holodeck all the time to, like, run simulation games. He's he so angry. He buys all those crappy how-to-win-at-poker guides that we sell at work. <laughs> he gets so angry that he he's in the reality where he doesn't come home with the first-place poker trophy. <laughs> There is no reality where he comes home with the first place poker cup. <laughs> nope. That's just one of those things. Just like yep. there's no reality where Wesley didn't kill a guy. Yep. He killed a guy. In every, even even in the Borger Everywhere reality, he killed a guy. Yep. That guy was Captain Picard. <laughs> what do you think of that? In that one where he's, the, where he's the yellow shirt, he killed his way up there. Yep. He and we all move rank. up in rank. Yep. All right. Anything else? Uh, I think that's it. Very well. Let us press forward to the way better than it had any right to be, thine own self. All right. As soon as I find it. All right. Yeah. So Troy returns from her psychiatry class reunion. Class of 2360 rules. Woo! Sorry, Matt, real quick. You looked that up, didn't you? Uh, Yeah, I did, actually. Okay, very well. The, the worst part is there wasn't an actual date for her graduation, so I had to so I had to you figure extrapolated. out. You extrapolated. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's you... going to reunion, so it's probably been about ten years from when the episode is set. So uh-huh. let's see here. 
So you get uh, you you in this reality you get the cup for best cup Damn for right. uh, for for best figuring out of a nerd thing. Good job. Damn right. <laughs> Sorry. Please anyway, continue. so Troy returns from a psychiatry class reunion with a bug up her ass to finally justify why she has a chair next to Picard on the bridge by taking the officer's exam. Meanwhile, on the distant planet of Assassin's Creed Two, Data is on a mission to recover some highly desirable radioactive metal. A pesky squirrel drops a coconut on his head, and Data loses his memory and stumbles into a nearby village of primitive morons. He befriends the local magistrate and his adorable daughter, as well as the local doctor, teacher, scientist, whose knowledge, as far as I can tell, is made up entirely of guessing. And then Data sells his radioactive metal to a jeweler so he can buy a motorcycle and goes, and goes about learning the secrets of the universe, as filtered through backwards-ass people. His poisonous jewelry is a big hit with the villagers, but unfortunately it is also poisonous, so everyone starts getting poisoned. Data searches for a, for a cure because he's good people, but then the villagers come after him because, as every Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, and Tales from the Crypt teaches us, man is the real monster. Data manages to dump the cure into the water supply, reverse Joker style, and, despite the fact that everyone saw the terrifying monster dump something mysterious into the well, they all drink it, and then the day is saved. Meanwhile, Troy is promoted for sending Jordy to his death. Good for her. That is the thing that happened. Yep. All of those things happened. <laughs> yeah, but particularly exactly that last as I thing. said, that, that, that is true. I just I don't want to sell your you know like sometimes we end on a big shocking joke, but uh, nope, that is exactly what happened. She's promoted for sending Jordy to his death. Yep. We'll get into that in, in a second. This really should have been dumb. This should have been terrible. Like I, I remember, this is one of the ones I remember watching when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember. I didn't re remember anything about it other than Data was chased by a mob. Yeah, and when I do when I do my big oh god, here we go, season seven, and I go down the list of this is going to happen. This date is a Frankenstein. I just assume that was a bad one. Maybe I'm wrong about the next ten, but I bet I'm not. I kind of I, I hope you're not, I, or I hope you are. No. I don't think you are. No, I don't think that I am because I know Genesis is exactly what I think Genesis <laughs> yep. is for one thing. Genesis. Genesis um, is episode forbidden. <clears throat> and of course. Um, the other one, uh, Eye of the Beholder. Yes. Which Bob is excited to be to join us for because... Just to find out what it is? To find out what Eye of the Beholder is, finally. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've been referencing it for seven years now. Nigh on forever. Nigh on forever ever. Yep. Yeah, this, this should have been really... I mean, on paper... It's kind of like Rascals. It sounds like a really stupid idea. And I think what happened was... It, it, it looks like it was a, uh, a, a spec script. Mm -hmm. or, or like at least a fan pitch. And then but, Ron uh, Moore picked yeah, it up he, and, he, uh, and tuned it up a little bit, polished it off, wrote it, and yeah. uh, it's actually pretty. And I don't just mean the the Troy subplot; I mean the main the Data as a Frankenstein bit. Yeah. So uh, why don't you uh, tell us your good thing? It's a this is a shockingly good Data story. I mean, I wasn't super convinced by the idea of retelling Frankenstein without the revenge and child murder, but this one was really good. Like, there's something very likable about Data in this episode. I mean, I always like Data, but he's he was really. As a confused guy who got bonked on the noggin and then shot into space, yeah, or shot away from space. I really, <laughs> in this case, like he's he's endearing and he's got this like. I, I really love the scene where. Well, it's my quote, so just we can play that here. All right. Rock, fire, sky, and water are the basic elements of the universe. They can be found in every object, every animal, every person, everything. The rock in this wood can be felt by its weight and hardness. If we expose the wood to flame, we can encourage the fire within the wood to show itself. We can also see smoke, which is a part of the sky. 
The water in wood is difficult to see. Sometimes the elements are buried deep within the objects, but the four elements are always there. <clears throat> yes, Jaden? I do not believe that is correct. Oh? I believe you are reasoning by analogy, classifying objects and phenomena according to superficial observation rather than empirical evidence. Wood, for example, does not contain fire simply because it is combustible, nor does it contain rock simply because it is heavy. Wood, like any complex organic form, is composed of thousands of different chemical compounds, none of which is fire. That will be enough for now, Jayden. I really love him just like, no, none of the stuff you just said makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah. I love him using science to save the village that he poisoned. <laughs> there ain't no village. <laughs> it's, um, okay. So he gets amnesia, which I had some serious issues well, with. Well, it's fucking stupid. But putting that aside, it reminded me of one of my very all-time favorite episodes of uh, Justice League Unlimited. Which was when Superman, and there's some spoilers here, I guess. Superman, they think he's dead, but uh, he ends. It ends up that he's wandering a, uh, a a planet with a red sun, which turns out to be Earth in the far future when the sun's gone nova or whatever, whatever turns it red. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's gone red. Um, science, and um, and basically the entire story is Superman without his powers, and you see what makes him so special. This is that same kind of episode for Data. Where Data loses a lot of what makes him special, but he still gets, you know, you see the essence of Data. You see Data being a good person, trying yeah. to help people, without him having his magic powers, or at least knowing he has his magic yeah, powers. Yeah, I love, I love that his whole, like, he just automatically goes into, I have to save these people. Right, and, and so this kind of episode... if it turns out that I am the cure, the cause, I'm going to leave. Right. And that's what I'm saying. This kind of episode, if it's done right, and it was done right here, can sh- can really show you what a character is about at their core, and that's yeah. what it did with Data, which really impressed me. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's nothing really new in this episode. We all know Data's a nice guy. Yeah, but it's still, you know, it was a it's a, it's a well done it's a well done episode. It is, and again, really surprising. Some of the laziest alien makeup to date. Oh my god, is it ever the like. I didn't go with this as my bad thing because, you know, at this point, why bother? Yeah. But it's basically just more, like, face smearing. When we get to the point where it's even lazier than the vague nose bump or whatever. Yeah. When you just take, like, a bucket of a bucket of paint and smear it on the... Uh, it looked like everyone had a Moon Knight drawn on their forehead. I, like... And like a lot, there was a lot of hat wearing in this in this village. And, like, every time I saw it, I thought someone had something on their head that was melting. <laughs> Well, they, a lot of hat wearing. They, the costumes were just straight up taken out of like a, uh, I don't know what English era it is, but like Henry the Eighth type Tudors like yep. uh, era. It, it looked like uh, that uh, Riker shows up briefly at the end in uh, in period costume, trying to trying to blend in. <laughs> yes, he does. And um, and it, he looks like he's wearing that same outfit that he was wearing in Barclay's uh, uh, holodeck simulation, where right he's trying to make he him ate look... a big pie. Right. <laughs> Just, just ridiculous looking. They all look like they're out of fucking Prince Valiant, and it's it's not great. Huzzah! Huzzah! Um, my good thing. Okay, there's a whole subplot that that Matt sort of glossed over for in, in favor of the main plot. Well, I mean, it's a it was a good subplot, but it was not a very busy subplot. No, it wasn't. It was Troy talks to Bever, realizes that she needs to be, uh, you know, needs to to uh, get her shit together, and takes the bridge exam. 
And, I mean, overall, Troy, not just her becoming an officer, but her character in general, we've talked about this before, but her wanting to better herself, she has a particularly cute scene with Riker. Where the hell was this character six years ago? Right? This is finally the Troy that I that I like, that I want. Mm-hmm. And the show's almost over. I mean, they, they haven't managed to fix Beverly. They're not gonna. No. But they did fix Troy. This is a full-on, fully realized, this is Troy. Yeah. She's not Counselor Troy anymore. She's Commander Troy. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. Yeah, like I would have, it would have been great if this character had been around for the entire the entire show. It's it really pisses me off that it took this long to get the character to be this good. And they didn't change her. No, like, but they brought out all of the all, all the of good the stuff, good right. qualities that were in her. But I like that they didn't do that because we've been saying they need like a strong female character, and it's true. They still do. Mm-hmm. Ensign Rose just been sort of hiding somewhere. I guess I don't know. But um, Did you look under the rug. <laughs> but I'm glad they didn't just make her tough. Yeah, because that would have been a cheap way out. They instead they gradually evolved her character into something similar but likable. Yeah, but I mean, like even even that, like they haven't made her tough, but they've at least made her. You know, she has a like, backbone. She does. Like, look at that Romulan episode that she was in. Fucking yeah, absolutely. Face of the enemy. She's amazing in that. Yeah, and and in this, there's uh, the whole thing is she takes all the tests and she passes all the tests except one. And the point of the test ends up being you have to be able to uh, be ready to send someone to their death. Yeah, you got to put the needs of the ship before the needs of an individual. Right. The needs. You know, of it's the that whole is that whole Star thing. Trek thing. Right. Send people. Kill Jordy. It's that whole Star Trek <laughs> thing. Kill Jordy. <laughs> Which is how you pass. That's how you become a commander. That's how you come go from uh, from LC to full commander. Yeah, you have to kill Jordy. It's frankly shocking that Jordy has, been, has lasted as long as he has. Well, Jordy's never going to make commander. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of a paradox. <laughs> commander, I was hoping I could take the bridge ex- exam. Well, how do you think that's going to go? How are you going to? Hmm. You're going to okay. send your. Everyone's just sort of looking at him. Well, I guess I'll go sacrifice myself then. Bunch of jerks. So then they just they just put the extra pip on the corpse. <laughs> and this and in this reality, he doesn't even have the dick doily. So, <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Jordy the LaForge died with honor, sacrificing himself in a simulation. Excuse me, Commander. At least give him the. Uh... Wait, did they bring uh, did they bring that terrible groundskeeper Willie guy from the uh, Scottish planet along? Yes, I came back to life somehow. I have to, I have to send Georgie off to safety. Enjoy away. heaven, my blind friend. Away from the candle. <laughs> Don't you be lighting no candles at that funeral. Incidentally, just a just a, a brief uh, a brief sidebar here. Uh, several people did uh, contact us about Sub Rosa. Oh really? Uh, they had they had watched the episode. I heard from no one that they liked it. All right. Not even Flonk, who has been much more um, supportive of season seven, let's say, than than we have. All right. Well, I'm going to call that a win then. I think, uh, yeah. Not for us, but uh... <laughs> certainly not for us. So we never have to watch, to watch it, again. it twice. But uh... no, I just when they make a bad episode, that's one thing. But when they make an episode that they insist was good, and we just weren't looking at it right. Yep. That kind of made me think. Okay, well, let's let's see. Let's see what everybody else thinks. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Everybody else thinks it's a flaming pile of crap. Also, all right, high fives all around then. Yeah, exactly. High fives, <laughs> a high five hand, handshake. <laughs> Almost called it a high five sandwich. <laughs> I could go for one of those right now. Sounds mm-hmm. good. 
Yeah. Well, we're almost finished here. All right. Uh, what about your bad thing? So towards the end of the episode, a dude walks by the camera rolling a <laughs> primitive bicycle. Now, this bicycle clearly has no pedals or any other means of moving about. What the hell kind of bicycle design is that? <laughs> well, see, the bike doesn't have enough fire in it, but it's got more water to compensate. I actually wanted to use this uh, to... to talk about their stupid science and how much i hated it i understand that this is a primitive people yeah and they're meant to sort of fill in for us in the middle ages kind of thing but like again the whole lecture about well the log is made of stone clearly because it's heavy and there's also fire in it because you can light it on fire i'm just sitting there like you're fucking dumb you know it's easy to say that yeah it is fun too But when um, when somebody tells me that things are made out of, you know, like uh, subatomic particles that I've never seen and, and I have no idea how they work, I just sort of nod my head. I don't know. I feel like what he, this gets down years, to is that if I can understand it, it doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, yeah, it's got fire and, and wood in it or whatever. That makes – I guess that makes sense. I can follow that. I just – That's I, why it's not true. There's so much science that I just sort of take as given because I don't really understand what it actually means. Mm-hmm. And I just assume that that's the same way with these people. It just it, it didn't bother me. Although I did see this teacher character, and I immediately thought, well, there's a character Matt's going to love. Uh, you know me so well. There's a there's a late middle-aged lady who's kind of bitchy and completely resistant to reason. Yep. This is this is Matt's character right here. That's exactly the kind of character that I flock towards. <laughs> yep. Isn't it I, she had she – had I actually – I respect this because she had a way of – of explaining things where it looked like she was clearly pulling it directly out of her ass yep right that second she had this supreme confidence about her and i can i almost respect that yep it's just Although like I, well clearly the problem with you is that you don't have enough sulfur or something now here's the thing though she wasn't she didn't resist data like nope. she said no he's wrong but she never was like oh you're a witch like, I figured that's the direction it was going. Like, oh, of course. He would be her, um, like, uh, competition or whatever. You know, he would like, like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't uh, you can't usurp 10,000 years of ideas that we've had. Yeah. You're obviously, uh, you know, you're obviously evil. Yeah. No, I, I actually like her whole, like, I'm going to listen to you, but when I get back, I want you to show me your work. Right. I, I like that a lot. Although I do, I will go to my grave convinced that she stole his idea for the magnifying glass. Oh, probably. Oh, and he violated the Prime Directive in like 23 different ways. Yeah, we don't even care about that anymore. Anyone can show up at any primitive planet and just dick around there now. Well, I suppose uh, Worf's brother sort of set the uh, precedent for that. Yep. Data gets down to the planet, gets conked on the, on the head and just like, oh, well, I guess I'll just do what Worf's brother did. What if I get laid? <laughs> Excuse me, I think you'll find his name is Jaden. Oh, excuse me. Thank you. That's another great one. What exactly is your name? Well, this box I'm carrying around has the word radioactive written on it. We that can would call him bad. Mr. Radioactive. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Radioactive. Right. And then the, the, the dude's daughter is just like, that's a stupid name. Let's call him Jaden. That almost feels like a comment on, like, like the original script called him Mr. Radioactive. And they're like, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're, we're not going to go with that. Yeah. I just I, I just imagined her. Let's call him Mittens. <laughs> Or Fluffy Bunch. Well, they said he was an ice man. Yeah. Because of his pale skin and his, his strength, I guess. Right. Makes him an ice man. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes as much sense as anything else. It makes as much sense as anything, she said. Yes, exactly. Well, clearly you're pale and have yellow eyes, like all ice men. Have right. you ever encountered an ice man? No. <laughs> but that's her. 
That's yep. her all over. That That's supreme confidence. Yep. Which no. I kind of admire. Not at all. Nope. Any follow-up questions? Nope. <laughs> all right, then. Okay. Um. Okay, so let's talk about my bad thing. Yes, let's. I'm, I'm going to do a rare double quote here Ooh. and play this, because uh, I, I really want to set the full context for this. Where is your mother? She died about a year ago. Father said she... She went to a beautiful place where everything is peaceful and everyone loves each other and no one ever gets sick. Do you think there's really a place like that? Yes. I do. Okay, so she says that. And then Data stares out the window at the stars. Yep. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that's bullshit. I expected him to start singing somewhere out there at some point. I was waiting for Troy and the Enterprise <laughs> yeah, to... Yeah, uh... cut back to the B-plot and she's singing the other half. Somewhere! <laughs> God. That was just... Wow. Ron Moore, really? Did you do this? Because you know better, man. Yeah, that's not... That's no. No. <laughs> that's no. It. Yeah. Knock it off. Where's my where's my sign that says no? <laughs> I haven't broken that now out in a while. Yeah. Um. So that's really it. That's all I got. Yep. I mean, it was you know it was fine. It was. I think you thought it was more above average. I thought it was average. I did. I actually I really enjoyed this one. I mean, it's not gonna you know it's not gonna make its way onto any any top ten list or anything. But right. I definitely enjoyed it, which. I wasn't expecting at all. Yeah, I, I expected a two or a three, and I got a five. Yeah. And I think you you probably think it was more like a six or a seven. But, yeah, I'd uh, say it was at least a seven. Really? Or not at least a seven, at least a six. Okay, that's fair. I was going to say, if you think it's like an eight, I think... Uh, yeah, no. We might talk about what we expect out of Star Trek, because I think it might be a little different than... <laughs> hey, uh, has season seven really beaten you down this much, Matt? <laughs> I mean, you know, I maybe... Mean, look, I've... Sub Rosa did a lot of damage, but holy shit. The thing is, we were talking briefly with... Um, it was with Flonk and with Irish Gav, two of our regular guests, mm. uh, about which is the absolute worst episode of Next Gen. Uh, Flonk said pretty much most of season one is worse than Sub Rosa. I don't agree. No. Um, I believe Gav, and I don't want to misquote him here, but I believe he said Force of Nature was worse. Yeah. He definitely said Aquiel was worse. I do remember him saying that. I think you and Gav are more on the same page as far as bad episodes go, because Aquiel and Force of Nature are your two go-tos. Yep. Whereas I hate both of those so much. Mine tend to be Subrosa and Masks. I, like, you know... It's not fair to talk about Masks yet. No. The, 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 you know, Force of Nature and Aquiel, they're both, they were both boring. And being boring is about the worst sin this show can have for me. Uh, see, Aquiel, I think, was worse because it was contrived. That, too. Also, fucking Contrived Aquiel. is a big thing for me. Well, yeah. I scared Jordy. I scared Jordy! <laughs> it was the... Dog. It was, in fact, the dog, which reminds me, uh, our pal Scott Zioko took something that we had said last week on the show uh, about, uh, what was it, the erotic adventures of Armis and Mr. Hengus, <laughs> and drew a picture of that, which, uh, if you go to postatomichorror.com and you click on, I believe it was artwork, I believe I set up a link uh, specifically for so, artwork, yeah. um, 
then you can see, yes, artwork. It's at the top of the page. Uh, you can see that drawing and a bunch of drawings that our pal Brian, who was just here last week, did of the various crew members. He did one that said it was the dog. And it's got Jordy. It's fantastic. Uh, he's got uh, one of all the major crew members. Yep. Except really Bever nice. because she's too boring. <laughs> yep. But for everyone else. And uh, and then he did some, like, lore and a couple other, like, Armis. Because you got to do Armis. Got to have Armis. Yeah, of course. So uh, so that's there if you're interested in that. Or if you want to do us a, a little a little doodle, a little drawing, yeah. send it to us. Uh, post it on Macora at Gmail. And uh, we'll put it on that page. Cause, we will uh, indeed. We do enjoy... We do enjoy visual representations of the goofy shit that we say. More and more as we go along. Yeah. The strange thing is you and I used to make comics together, and we get more participation from artists now that we're doing a completely non-visual medium yep. than we ever did when we worked in comics. Yep. Very strange. It is so much better. It really, really is. All right. Well, that's all I had for this week. How about you? Yeah, I think we're about done here. Very well. Next week, as I say, is uh, Eye of the Beholder, finally. So that'll answer some questions. What that is. Uh, fresh new Seattle arrival, Mark Bosco, my my old pal Bob. Mm-hmm. He's moving here. He's coming to my house. Going to record a podcast. Up. Then he's going to go back home again. No. <laughs> It'd be nice. It'd be nice to have him around to, to record this stuff. Yeah. And to help us out at, at conventions and things. And uh, I guess to hang out as friends, too. I guess that's <laughs> a thing. Oh, I suppose. If he's got any time. Yeah. Incidentally, we will be doing um, our, our final supplemental show when we're finished with next gen not our final supplemental show ever but our final final one on the subject of next gen uh sometime in october it depends on how the scheduling works out but um when we do that uh we will be following up on our our thoughts our feelings on uh star trek into darkness yes because we we talked about this when we covered the movie on the show we'd only just seen it literally a day before we wanted to give it some time to soak in to 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 noodle it through and it will be out on dvd by that point and we feel like we can talk full spoilers you know whatever and my opinions definitely changed i don't know about you but i completely feel watch it again i don't think my feelings are nearly as strong as yours are i they are for me unfortunately also we will be having a special guest on at that point someone who has um well i won't spoil it it's benedict cumberbatch it is it's benedict cumberbatch which I, that's why I finally got his name right. He because... showed up the kid to chew Al out for not knowing his name. Yeah. All right. And with that. Al's defense is, of course, your name is Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, come on. Nobody knows your name. Your name is not Robert Paulson. Nope. All right, Matt. Tell the folks what you will do to them. I will see you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.